Matt, I'm going to transition to our, our teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5. So if you have uh, your Bibles, or if you have a Bible, great, turn there, Matthew chapter 5. If you don't, uh, would you hit the next slide? It's on the screen in the black Bibles around the room, page 760. So uh, again, we are in Matthew chapter 5, uh, and this is Jesus' teaching on oaths and swearing. And when I say swearing, I don't mean cuss words. Um, so personally, I've come across this passage uh, a handful of times in my personal reading, and often what happens is I kind of blow right by it. Uh, I think it's because amidst all of Jesus's teaching, a passage on oaths and swearing feels like small, um, maybe a little bit irrelevant. Um, there's a lot of turmoil and brokenness in our world, and we experience that often. And there needs to be more in the teachings of Jesus that's relevant, that's helpful, that's hopeful than some instruction on oaths, right? Uh, so as I uh, have prepared for this, I've kind of dug into it for really the first time, taking the time to really understand what is Jesus actually getting at? What is he trying to convey? And turns out Jesus, fully God, fully man, is intelligent. Turns out that Matthew, the guy that cataloged and recorded the teachings of Jesus, he also is smart. So there's something here that I'm really excited for us to get to over the next bit of time, okay? So with that, I'm just gonna jump to Matthew chapter five, verse 33. And we're gonna read this together. Jesus picks up, he says, again, you've heard it said to those of old in the past, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, it's his footstool, or even by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Again, it, it feels kind of irrelevant at first. Uh, who here has taken an oath recently? Okay, great. Did you swear by Jerusalem, heaven, or the earth? Yeah. Right, like this is culturally does not apply to us, or at least it doesn't feel that way. And so um, it's pretty obvious that Jesus is speaking in a universal sense. He's sharing something universal, but he is, it's like wrapped in these layers of something pointed at his immediate context. There's real life human beings with a real life culture that he's speaking toward. So here's our plan for today. We're gonna to start out and we're gonna look at understanding that immediate context. Uh, we're gonna call that the teaching of the Pharisees, kind of the cultural norms that Jesus was operating in. Uh, and then we're gonna to transition to um, the, the past, right? Jesus uses the language, you've heard it said to those of old, those in the past. So we're gonna look at the Mosaic legislation or the teachings of the Torah. Uh, and then, but then Jesus transitioned, he says, but I say to you now. And so we're gonna look at what is Jesus's corrective teaching? So there's gonna be three movements. What is the teaching of the Pharisees? What was the Mosaic legislation? What is Jesus's corrective teaching? And then we're gonna end by thinking that universal context, what are the implications for us? So the immediate human context, the teachings of the Pharisees. Um, so Jewish society, all of human history for thousands of years was based on oral culture, right? There was, there was no uh, text message. There was no printed paper, right? It was oral transactions. So whether it was a land agreement, a business deal, a national treaty, whether you were like doing a Craigslist exchange with your neighbor, all of that was built on 
oral exchange. And it was built on relationships of trust that required verbal contract. Basically, I trust you to do what you say. And there was ceremonies too, absolutely, but ultimately it all came down to an exchange of words and your ability to rely on someone doing what they say. So oaths and swearing, um, it's right, you've heard this, I swear by, or I I swear on, right? I swear on the Bible to tell nothing but the whole truth, right? Uh, So swearing on or in the name of something really has three general purposes. Uh, The first one is you might be invoking witness, right? You've, You've seen this in a marriage ceremony. I swear by everyone present, I take everyone here as a witness that I will do this thing that I vow myself to. So an oath or swearing might be calling upon witnesses. Uh, You could also be offering collateral, right? I swear by everything I own, I will do this thing. I'm offering everything I own as collateral. I I swear by my life, right? I'm offering that as collateral. Uh, And then the third kind of function of oaths and swearing is you can submit to the judgment of an authority, right? I swear by the king, I swear judge, like I swear by the judge that I will speak the truth, that I will fulfill my oath. And if I fail, I submit to the judgment of this authority. And so that's kind of like the language wrapped up with oaths and swearing. So by the time that Jesus is on the scene, he is in Roman occupied Israel. And the cultural norm at this point treated oaths with this like really bizarre contradiction of extreme reverence and absolute flippancy. And so uh, a way to explain that, that Jewish mentality in that time is actually, I wanna kind of sidebar on the way that they understood the name of God, because I think it explains the way that they understood oaths. So uh, the name of God, the personal name of God given in the Old Testament is Yahweh. Um, and the Jewish teachers taught that you actually should never use the personal name of God out of respect. It's the name of the holy creator that breathed life into the universe. Shouldn't use that name on accident or misuse it with, uh, there's no, we should not allow for the chance to disrespect it. So instead they would use all sorts of other words. Uh, They used often uh, the word Elohim. You guys might've heard that. Uh, It means like a deity or spiritual being. And so they would refer to him as the Elohim uh, or they would refer to him as Adonai. Uh, which is another Hebrew word uh, that means Lord. It's, uh, it's the position of Adonai. Think of the word king, right? It's a position that a person would hold. So God holds the position of my Lord. So they would use all these other words, but they would not use the personal name Yahweh out of respect. So this same attitude applies to oath-taking. Out of reverence, respecting the holiness of God, the sacredness of his name, the Pharisees taught not to promise anything by him. Don't swear on his name. Don't swear by who he is. But there's also a a bit of reality here of if I swear by God himself, I need to fulfill that, right? If I have invoked the name of the holy creator and I've invoked him as my witness, I've invoked him as my collateral and my judge, I'm not gonna take that oath very lightly. I had better, like fear for my life, uphold the words that have come out of my mouth. But what if, like Jesus is talking about, what if I swear, I swear by heaven? What if I I swear by the earth? 
it's not as bad if I break that oath, right? Definitely don't want to break an oath sworn by God, but an oath sworn by heaven, like I shouldn't break it, but if I do, it's not as bad. That makes sense to me, right? Like that makes sense to you guys. Um, it feels that way. It feels that there's a difference in that oath. But you can see that the natural result of that question, it's not as bad, right? It leads to the development of a hierarchy, a hierarchy of oaths. It's more holy to swear by heaven. It's more serious than to swear by earth. And it's even, if I need an oath that's maybe even less divinely qualified, I'll swear by Jerusalem. That's even like less big than heaven, right? And if I need something that feels completely removed from God, I'll just swear by my own head. Like this, my body, I own it, right? God's totally absent from that oath. So what this hierarchy of oaths does is it creates an environment in which you could choose an oath that fit your use. You could choose an oath that fit your intended level of honesty and accountability. And so granted, like there's various motivations, right? We, we understand this. Some are intentional, some are subconscious um, with this misuse of oaths. So Matthew chapter six addresses religious pomp like putting on religious behaviors in order to look and feel superior. And so like, as I think of oaths and kind of using oaths to feel like religious-y, um, right? I think, hey, Eli, we made dinner plans. I'll see you at Applebee's at six. No oath, right? But if I wanna feel a little bit more like religious-y, I'll be like, hey, Eli, by Jerusalem, I'll see you at six, right? Applebee's, yep, I swear by my head. All right, so you can like put on these religious like airs right? Whether it's a, a casual transaction or business, I swear by heaven. I swear by Jerusalem. See you guys there, right? And so there's this flippancy that you can use something small within this hierarchy of oaths. But all of it is built on a desire to subtly deceive. There's a use of language that manipulates the ways that others perceive us. So, I think of in an ancient uh, context, right? Just one more example, right? Maybe I'm interested in a business transaction with this guy over here. And, and so I say, hey, you know, I swear by heaven and by earth, I'm so excited for this transaction we're gonna have in the spring. When your flocks come in, I swear by heaven, I'll give you this price. Because I want him on the hook, right? I like the deal we have going on. But subtly, I haven't sworn yet by God's name. So I can kind of be behind the scenes looking for, hey, I'll, I'll offer you like a little better deal, right? I'm looking behind the scenes for a deal. So I'm using my oaths. I haven't sworn by God's name, but I'm using my oaths to kind of manipulate the perception of my intention. So I'm sure that you guys, even just as we're talking about this, are beginning maybe to think of other ways that you could use this language without fully intending to follow through with what you're saying or maybe giving yourself little back doors how you could use that in your personal or professional life. Now, here's the crazy part, right? We talked about reverence and flippancy. None of this oath-breaking was considered a sin, according to the teachings of the Pharisees. Unless you were in direct violation of the Mosaic law, unless you swore by God himself, it wasn't sin. So we're gonna look at the Mosaic instruction, the Mosaic legislation and figure out what does it actually teach? And, but before we go there, I want us to consider this, these two questions. How did oaths used in the way of the Pharisees affect truth 
and trustworthiness. What did these oaths or this teaching declare about God? Given the instruction that we just talked about, the teachings of the Pharisees, this hierarchy of oaths that suit your use, I would say that oaths being the formal language of promise were ultimately tools for manipulation. They undercut trustworthiness. And I would say that they were built on loopholes or finding loopholes in God's sovereignty. I'm more accountable to God if I use these words than if I use these words, right? So looking at the Mosaic legislation, we're going to see if that was the original intention. Uh, So as we go into the writings of the Old Testament, uh, the language of the Pharisees uh, here in Matthew, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That that sentence actually isn't anywhere in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, What Jesus was quoting there was the working summarization that the Pharisees taught. They, They summarized the Old Testament instruction in that sentence, and that was what they taught from. So we're actually going to go back to the original instruction in the Torah, meaning Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the Torah... Uh, is a Hebrew word that literally means instruction or law. Uh, And so we're going to look at Deuteronomy, one of the books of the Torah. So the entire Torah tells the beginning of God's story of redemption, right? Um, It records how God chooses a family, and he says that they will play a special role in his plan for redemption. That family turns into a tribe, which grows into a nation. And this nation, called the people of Israel, are living amongst other nations. They have neighbors. And the nations living around them have separate cultures from them. Um, And those separate cultures of the nations living around them worshiped gods other than Yahweh. And so, um, though all of these cultures, right, these ancient cultures, uh, they all had distinct sets of values around sexuality, worship, violence, social hierarchy. They have an incredibly diverse set of values around all those things, there's one value that would have been consistent across all of those cultures. And that was the value of oral contract. I trust you to do what you say. And so the way that each of these different cultures would validate their oaths is they would call upon something valuable or transcendent. And they would call upon um, essentially their gods so if, if it's not enough to promise by my land or my life, I will call upon my God as witness and judge over what I say. So these nations surrounding Israel would swear by Baal, swear by Moloch, swear by um, Amon, by Dagon, all these different false gods in the cultures around them. And here's the scary part that the, the nation of Israel was wrestling with, is that swearing by all of these gods is not only acknowledging their existence, it's validating their rule, and it is accepting them as authority. If I swear by Baal, what am I doing but giving him authority over me, acknowledging his rule? So the writings of the Torah, interestingly, limit all swearing and oath-taking to only swearing by Yahweh. In what feels sacrilegious at first, we realize 
It's God's way of saying you swear by me alone because I hold the sole position of sovereignty in the universe. I am the one in charge. You swear by me alone. Essentially, he's saying don't submit to a false god. Don't submit to any evil spiritual power and don't claim them as being above me. Uh, We see this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter six, really uh, succinctly, and it's gonna be up on the screen. God's instruction, he says, fear the Lord your God, respect him, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you, he's a jealous God. His anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. I'm also gonna read from Deuteronomy chapter 10. That's four chapters later. And I'm gonna read a larger passage. It's a parallel passage. So it's lots of the same stuff, but it gives us more reason. Gives us more reason why God is saying, take your oaths in my name. Do not follow other gods. It explains his jealousy. So this is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. And this is verses 12 through 22. So please, it's gonna be on the screen, but if you just listen for the why, Why might God instruct us to only swear by him? What is the evidence that's being presented? So this is Moses speaking for God. He says, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? Walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. Keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good. And then here's a bit of a why. Why do we respect him? Behold, the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. And yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and he chose their offspring after them, you above all people as you are this day. And then he says, circumcise your hearts therefore Do not be stiff-necked any longer for the Lord your God is God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is great and mighty, or he's the great God, mighty and awesome. And then he explains his character. He says, the God who shows no partiality, who accepts no bribes, is a God of honesty. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, those who are weak, and he loves the foreigner, the outcast residing among you giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And then he concludes, fear the Lord your God, serve him, hold fast to him, take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Do you remember the question we asked at the end of the teaching of the Pharisees? Uh, we're gonna ask it again. How did oaths used in the teachings of Moses affect truth and trustworthiness? And what did those oaths declare about God? Oaths made by God's name elevated verbal contracts and they upheld truthfulness. I've invoked the creator of heaven and earth. I'm accountable to him. I will be trustworthy and honest with everything that comes out of my mouth when I swear by his name. 
They also declared the singularity of God's sovereignty. I will swear by no one else. I will accept no other authority. I will declare no one's rule other than God's alone. He is the one who created and owns all things. When I take an oath in his name, it's declaring that he's the only one that I will submit to and the only one that I will elevate. That's like crazy different than what the teachings of the Pharisees did, right? Or at least the effect of those things. So now we're gonna transition and we're gonna look at what did Jesus teach? Um, what, uh, what was his perspective? What was it in line with? So we're gonna go back to Matthew chapter five, verse 33, and just read that one more time, become more familiar with it. So Jesus says, again, you've heard it said to those of old in the past, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great capital K, King. Do not take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Uh, as we want to understand Jesus's short teaching here, I think it's helpful to break it into two categories. Uh, what is the negative command that he's teaching? Uh, you'll see up there on the, the blank. By negative, I just mean don't do this. He's saying negatively, don't do this. But then he also has in here a positive command and a positive assertion where he's saying do, do this because of this. So negative, don't do that. Positive, do, do that because of this. Um, so breaking into that, it's pretty clear. Right out of the gate, Jesus says, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all. Don't take an oath by your head. You can't even make one hair black or white. That part's really easy, right? Uh, the, the positive command and the positive assertion actually explains the negative. We don't take oaths by heaven, by earth, by our own heads because of what is he positively asking us to do? In the end, he says positively, let what you say be simply yes or no. Do Say simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or deception. So that's the positive command. Do speak simply. Do speak yes or no. Don't take an oath or swear. But there's one more positive assertion. He says, do speak simply and yes or no because of. And the because of is hidden in the it is's. So I'm going to read this one more time. And I'd like for you to pay attention to the it is. And what is Jesus getting at with the it is? Don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black, for it is you are his. The earth, his footstool, heaven, his throne, even your body, it is, you are God's. Jesus is positively asserting God's sovereignty. He's declaring the sovereignty of God. 
Later in Matthew chapter 23, I'm not gonna read it, um, but just I'm gonna summarize it. Jesus is again criticizing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because they have instruction on oaths and they have this crazy backwards teaching that if you swear by the gold of the temple, that's a sacred oath. But if you swear by the temple itself, it's not sinful if you break that. If you swear by the gift on the altar, that's a sacred oath. But if you swear by the altar itself, it's not sacred. And Jesus here and there is basically going, guys, it's all his. The gold in the temple, his. The temple, his. The gift of the altar, his. The altar, his. Heaven, his. Earth, his. Me, his. He is sovereign. There's no way of finding a loophole in that. He is sovereign. So in the Old Testament, in summary, God's instruction protected truthfulness and it announced God's sovereignty by instructing that oaths only be made in his name. The Pharisees over a long period of time modified that to the effect that they degraded truthfulness and they were looking for loopholes in God's sovereignty. So Jesus is bringing it back around. He's saying, if oaths aren't serving their function, if they're undercutting the whole purpose, like get rid of them. Like, I'm not attached to this. He says, let your everyday speech reflect God is sovereign. Because you live under his sovereignty, every word out of your mouth is trustworthy. Every word is free of posturing, it's free of deceit. So I wanna ask again, how did oaths as taught by Jesus affect truth and trustworthiness? And how did oaths as taught by Jesus, what did they declare about God? I think it's pretty clear that Jesus says, let simply yes, speak simply yes or no. He's saying, let your everyday speech uphold truthfulness and trust. And he's saying, let your everyday speech declare the totality of God's sovereignty. There's not one word that comes out of your mouth that is not under his sovereignty. I think that's the universal message. He spoke it wrapped in immediate context to the teachings of the Pharisees. He was correcting it. He was drawing us back to the teachings of Moses. And this is what he's after here. So what does that mean for us? Um, I have a handful of implications. Uh, this is by no means uh, comprehensive. These are just some things that came to me uh, most strongly that I think are helpful for us. So I have six of them, okay? Um, I think implication number one for us is not being flippant with our words, not throwing around, by Jerusalem, see at Applebee's, right? Or our version of that. And I want to be explicit here. Um, Jesus is not afraid of your words. Jesus is not afraid of your language. Just because you say, yes, simply, I will do this, versus, I swear, yes, I will do this. There's no magic difference. He's not afraid of using, I swear, I oath, I promise. But I think he's after a heart posture, an internal understanding of God that modifies even the words that come out of our mouths. I think that's what he is after. 
Uh, James chapter five uh, kind of concludes um, with this. Uh, James chapter five, James writes and he says, above all my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and let your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. That's how James like wraps up his writings. In the entire context of James, his whole argument is he's saying our internal lives, our physical lives, they should all be congruent with the story of God. James is saying our goal is more than determining is certain language okay or permissible? What's the loophole? James is saying our goal is to live in such a way that everything we do points to the truthfulness of the story of God. If our words and our actions are not telling the story of God, we might be participating in a form of idolatry. So because God is sovereign, I won't be flippant with my speech. His goodness, his presence, they're so near and real to me that even my words are under his effect. Not even the hairs on my head, not even the hairs on your head are yours. You are God's. He loves you. Implication number two, your yes and your no can be acts of courage. Your yes and your no can be salty. And I'm thinking back to the beginning of Matthew chapter five, you are the salt of the earth. Your words, your yes and no can be distinctly Christ flavored in the world. Um, I wanna ask you a question. When you, when we make oaths or when we give our word, what is our motivation? So I'm gonna ask you, think of the last time you said that you would do something and then didn't fulfill it. Would you think of that for a moment? It's the last time you said something and then didn't fulfill it, big, small, otherwise. What motivated you to say yes or no? What motivated you to accept that commitment? Um, for me, I find that the most regular use of manipulative or deceptive language is when I want to say no to someone. Hey, would you be willing to help me with this thing? Hey, you wanna get together later? Hey, we should have you over. And I want to say no, <laughs> like, I'm okay, thanks. Um, but what comes out is like, oh, you know, I'm really busy, sorry. Or, hey, I'd, I'd really, I know I said I'd come over and I'd love to come over, but something came up. Or I find that I say yes out of fear. I'm worried about letting someone down. I'm fearful of how you will see me if I say no. So I either put myself into a bad yes situation or I put myself in that yes situation and then I kind of squirm out of it, right? Um, that is what is most common for me. And so when you say yes to the right commitments, when you say yes to the commitments God is asking of you, and you say no to good things, your courageous no declares your belief that God is sovereign. Saying no can be declaring that you are his and he loves you. 
you do not need to earn your identity or a spot in his family. You don't need to say yes. You can just say, I trust my king. Sorry, I'm going to let you down. I can't. There's a flip side to that though. All right, if we, if we trust God and we're under his sovereignty enough to say no, it also means that when you've said yes, like you show up, right? <laughs> um, remember, your everyday commitments are made under the sovereignty of God. Every word that we commit to is said knowing that he is sovereign. And so I am honest in my commitments. Now, implication number three, and this might feel contradictory. When you make a bad promise, don't do it. Um, Jesus is not after your blind follow-through. It's pretty clear here. He's not asking for you to follow through with something stupid you said. He's after thoughtful, honest living. Which brings us to number four, um, not being legalistic with two things specifically. So uh, not being legalistic with thing number one. Um, so in the commentators around this passage, there's some question. Jesus says, do not take an oath at all. Does that mean don't take an oath at all? James says, don't take an oath at all. Does that mean don't take an oath at all? And I'm saying it in kind of a, a silly way, but there's sincere controversy. We just read Deuteronomy. God himself said, when you swear, swear by my name. Even uh, New Testament writers, um, it's written that they would take vows. They would call upon God as witness. Um, and so that's one side. Uh, one side says, Jesus says at all. That means at all. You don't take an oath. You don't join the military. You don't go to court. You don't sign a house contract. Like you just don't take an oath. Um, but there's another side that says, based on what's written in the Old Testament and the New Testament, based on the immediate context Jesus is likely speaking to, it seems that he's after truthfulness and sovereignty. Truthfully, I'm really attracted to this like salty, severe one. This like Jesus says at all, like we're called to be a distinct people that looks like no one else in the world. Like that's salty. Like I'm attracted to that but I also can't override that onto what I see. And so I'm kind of stuck in the middle where I'm not really sure about that. I'm not sure about the micro detail there, but here's what I am positively sure of. Jesus is speaking about a posture of truthfulness and he's speaking of our submission to God's sovereignty in all things. And I am very happy for now to drive in that lane and to stay very safely in there and not look for loopholes. So that's the first thing. Do you, do you not make an oath at all, right? Let's not be legalistic about one another because it's kind of confusing. Uh, second thing that I would like for us to not be very legalistic over um, is for us not to condemn each other for working out our daily yeses and nos. Again, this is hard. And so when someone says yes to something they shouldn't have and then they back out and disappoint you, let's not be legalistic with that. They're working out my daily yes and no under the sovereignty of God. Also, when someone says no very courageously and they disappoint you, you wanted a yes and you get a no, encourage them. They are resting in God's sovereignty and they're speaking truthfully. 
Number five, implication for us. And this is potentially um, one of the most challenging for us. We need to be wise or hesitant about what we promise ourselves to. Heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. You are his child. The reality is there are institutions in the world that want to um, declare their ownership of you above that of God. For the people Jesus was speaking at, they were under Roman occupied Israel. The empire of Rome asked for your oath, your submission and your loyalty. Modern nations also ask for your life and your loyalty and they have little consideration of God. You Christian are not a dual citizen. You are Christ's singularly. So we need to be hesitant about what we promise ourselves to, who we submit to through our oaths. Can you love and serve your country? I think yes. Can you take an oath that places your country above God? I think no. Implication number six, and this is the good news part where my heart sings. Jesus, in all of this, in declaring truthfulness and sovereignty, he's actually declaring God's own truthfulness, God's own trustworthiness. Jesus is setting the bedrock of reality here. God is trustworthy. When he says yes, it means yes. When he says no, it means no. Hebrews chapter six puts biblical language to this idea. It says this, Hebrews chapter six, and it's gonna be on the screen. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, I'm gonna read that again. When God made a promise to Abraham, since God had no one greater by whom to swear, God swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. For people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, he desired to show the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, meaning his character that does not change and his oath, his word that does not change, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. We have a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, meaning God's very presence, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. Hebrews is saying God himself holds our promise. The promises that God has made, he swears by his own unchanging character and word. So we have a hope that we hold fast to. And what God has promised, the entire story, the story of God that we live out on a daily basis, he's promised love, rescue, forgiveness, new life. 
This is his yes to you. He has said, yes, I will love you. I will rescue you. I'll forgive you. I'll give you new life. And what Hebrews is saying is he's saying, I will secure it on my own word, not on your ability to uphold the covenant or earn it. He says, I will verify it with my son, my son who will live, die, and rise as part of this divine rescue. And now Hebrews ends by saying, Jesus is our hope. He is our evidence. He is our forerunner who represents us before God. Jesus right now is ensuring that every single morning you wake up with new mercy, with new grace, gifted by God. Amen. Do you guys pray with me? Father, you are good. Um, thank you uh, for showing me personally a small passage of something that feels irrelevant is actually rooted in the bedrock of reality that you are truthful and trustworthy. You are sovereign above all things. Father, help me help us to work this into our bones, into our speech, to have the confidence to say yes and no as you ask. Father, thank you. Thank you. Amen. Um,